mean, they actually know more about psilocybin therapy than they do about cannabis right, right. now, the government. So, you know, I, I don't know, like maybe, maybe this is going to be easier than, you know, cannabis legalization wise. Um, but we just don't know. We're just going to have to see how it goes. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products. And get cozy Cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode of the show. Today, we have a very special guest, and she's a good friend of ours as well. We have Kim Stuck. She is the CEO of Allay Consulting, now located out of Oregon. What's up, Kim? Hey, how's it going? Going good. We're so so stoked to finally connect with you. We're sad that you had to, to move uh, to the corner of the U.S. and for us to finally connect. But um, we've connected a, a ton of times here in Denver in person, and um, it's good to connect. You know, while COVID's still going on here virtually on, on the internet. So, uh, welcome to the Lit and Lucid Show. We're stoked to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we always start the show with the proverbial question: Are you a cannabis consumer? Uh, yes, I am a cannabis consumer. Um, have been for a very long time. I grew up in Colorado and I feel like if you grew up there, you've at least been exposed to it a few times, if you know, not a lot more. Um, but you know, when I started going to college, I actually kind of stopped for a very long time. And then, and then immediately after that, I started working, um, for the government and as much as I was actually very surprised, Colorado does not drug test their health inspectors unless like there's something crazy that has happened. Um, So, you know, I slowly kind of got back into it. And then obviously when I started in the industry, now nobody cares. Um, I just didn't want to get super judged on (laughs) when I was working with the government because you know how it is. Yeah, that's what that was my question. I was nervous about asking the question because I'm like, oh, well, she worked for the city of Denver. (laughs) So like, I don't know how that all works. Yeah, no, actually, I was pretty shocked. Like when I first started, that was my first thing. I sat down at my desk and I said, do you need me to take a drug test? I didn't take a drug test yet. And they were like, you work for Denver. You don't get drug tested. And I was like, oh, okay." Like it was really funny. Um, And at that time, cannabis was actually passed, had passed, you know, but, you know, nobody was regulating it yet. It still was kind of up in the air and all that of who was going to handle it. And so it was just a really funny response from my boss because she was like, you're in Colorado, like we're cool here. Like, you know, it was really funny. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of even government officials are pretty like cool with it. Like it's not looked down upon, at least in some of the more, you know, progressive states, it's not as much of like a bad thing, thankfully, thankfully. Which is yeah, how so. it should be, right? I mean, right. we're a yeah, lot of productive I- people. Right. Oh, my gosh. The cannabis industry people are the most productive people ever. Um, They outwork me all the time, I feel like. And, you know, it should be treated the same as like a glass of wine at night, except for when I smoke a bowl before I go to bed. um, I wake up feeling great instead of if I drink a bottle of wine, I'm going to feel really awful. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays, especially business owners, are actually leaning towards that more because they can function a lot better. 
Totally. I mean, it's it's some one of those things that um, if you would judge by the uh, the past stigmas, you'd have never thought. I mean, you'd think that somebody that drinks all weekend and drinks every night was like your standard employee. And who would have thought that somebody who smokes weed can be just as functional in the workplace? Uh, besides everybody who does it, I guess. <laughs> so uh, it's good to see uh, it's good to see Denver coming around. And that's I didn't really know that. So that's like an interesting tidbit that we've already learned. So. Uh, good to see that you know there's progress made on a lot of fronts. But let's talk about it. You know, you um, prior to even becoming a regulator or you know doing any of this stuff that you're doing now with compliance, um, you did get a job at the city of Denver, and you were deemed one of the first uh, regulators in the nation. So tell us about you know how that all came about and kind of how that feels, I guess. Yeah, so I, I graduated from actually Metro State University in Denver. Um, awesome school, love it. And I got a degree in human nutrition biochem. So with that degree, it's a whole lot of weird stuff, a lot of culinary classes, a lot of, you know, like really strange things, anatomy and biochem, obviously, I had to take a lot of that. Um, But with it was this huge food safety side. So I had to take three semesters of food safety classes and learn about all the gross stuff. Um, I lost like 10 pounds (laughs) because I wouldn't eat anything um, during those semesters. And so you know, it was really, uh, I was kind of a foot in, um, I'd been working in restaurants as a bartender for most of my life before that. And so, um, uh, my food safety professor said, Hey, you should get a job as a health inspector. And I was like, what? They're like the devil, you know, like nobody <laughs> likes that. What? I am not going to become a health inspector. And he's like, why don't you go do a ride along, like check it out. And did you know, you can do a ride along with a health inspector in Denver anytime. Wow. (laughs) They will take you into restaurants and show you how they do an inspection to, to citizens. You just have to like fill out an application and tell them when you can. It's really cool actually. So that's what I did. I went, um, did, did a whole ride along was like, dude, I could totally do this and, uh, (laughs) applied for the job. And thankfully, um, I got it right out of college. Um, I pretty much started, I think I started three days after I graduated. Um, it was a huge like life change cause I wasn't used to, you know, I went from bartending to having to work a professional job where I was <laughs> regulating businesses. So it was a really huge learning curve. Um, thankfully I was good at it and really liked it. Um, and then shortly after I did, you know, wholesale food and restaurants became a certified professional in food safety, um, all of that fun stuff. Um, they, they pretty much were like, okay, all health inspectors, now you have to regulate cannabis, have fun. And we were like, what? And so everyone on the staff had to go out into these dispensaries and grows and, and, um, product manufacturers, MIPS in Denver at that time, you know, and it was just like crazy learning curve. Like I had no idea what an extraction was. Like I grew up with the plant only, (laughs) you know, I didn't know anything else other than that. Vape pens, tampons, suppositories. I mean, we were running into things that I was just like, what, what do we even do with this? (laughs) Um, And it was super crazy, but thankfully the industry really was awesome about it. And they were like, Oh, please come in, see our stuff. I think they were just so excited that they were legal Um, that I got like a firsthand education in cannabis from the like 2000 licenses in Denver uh, over the three plus years that I was there. So um, it was really interesting, huge transition, learned a lot really fast. Um, And then eventually they realized, hey, we need an inspector that's only cannabis because we couldn't keep up. And so they granted me, granted, they offered me that position. um, And thankfully I took it. I'm really glad that I did, but it was, you know, and then that's when 
investigations that were happening and all all that fun stuff. So that's kind of how it went. And then in 2017, decided to uh, start my own consulting company because I saw a huge gap uh, in the industry when it came to compliance. And people just don't know what they don't know. And reading regulations and understanding them is a true talent um, and usually takes years and years of experience to be able to do that. And so not only do I have, you know, that background of writing the regulations and doing all that, but also understanding them and then being able to explain them at a level that people will understand and remember. Um, most of my staff, that's all we do is education. We write documentation, we do audits, you know, that kind of thing. But a lot, 90% of it is just regular us educating the people that we um, have as our clients. It's really exciting. That's so cool. Like how the whole journey came full circle. Like you were a food safety inspector and then you turned into cannabis and it's interesting, you know, they were probably helping you along the way. You know, all these business owners are probably like the regulators don't know what they're regulating. So like we need to help them out as well. And so you guys kind of work together together to shape this industry and then it's even like a double bonus that you now went and you have your own consulting firm doing all these things with kind of insider information about, you know, what the regulators are looking for. And like you said, being able to explain in layman's terms to your clients what these regulations really mean. Yeah. And I think it was that uh, relationship with the industry that made me want to start my own business. I was like, these people are amazing. <laughs> like they are amazing people great entrepreneurs, very, very intelligent, very, you know, I don't know what I was expecting exactly, but, you know, I just wasn't sure what I was walking into. And then I was like, oh my gosh, these people are amazing. They deserve to do really, really well. They deserve to understand this stuff. And as a regulator, you're really not allowed to explain things. You state the regulation and they have to, it's the onus is on them completely to figure it out. Um, whereas when you're a consultant, you know, it's our job to explain stuff and then give them like options, you know, like, hey, th this is how you can come into compliance with this. And when you are, it's a very hard spot to be in when you can't give them the answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, this would take five seconds. Like, oh my gosh, right. and, you know, it just kills you. Um, whereas, you know, now I'm just like, no, 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 this is what they really need. This is what they're actually asking <laughs> <at> for. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Coming from um, the perspective of somebody who's worked in the industry, I could say your timing was impeccable. Um, I got into it in 2016. And um, by first two days that I was working at the farm, I had to read all the immediate the, the rules. And I sat down for the first two days and read the entire rule book. Uh, the next two days were devoted to reading through um, all the documentation that metric had just so I can understand compliance. Because I, re I realized and I think um, it had been taught to me that um, you're in the compliance business, like you work in cannabis, but this is a compliance business. And so um, I will also attest to uh, the regulators at the time in 2016, I think a lot of the operators are really getting kind of hasty with the regulators. And there was kind of like a rough relationship there for a little bit because there was a lot of these rules and new rules coming out like every year. Um, sometimes, you know, they would pop out in the middle of July or August. And uh, a lot of the operators just had no clue. And, and we had experienced this where, um, you know, you understand both sides of it. And um, it was just hard to understand like, well, what, you know, what is actually happening and what are we allowed to do? And nobody could give you any answers. And um, I think I mentioned your timing because that's about when, you know, you came on, on the market and some other people came from that side to to walk operators through this and, and not make it so it's such like a, a taboo, scary thing where you felt like, you know, the FBI was coming to visit your facility and 
they're going to dock at everything you're doing wrong. And everybody was all nervous. And um, it turned it into one of those things where like you could work hand in hand with regulators and everybody was trying to just meet the compliance goal for everybody. And so I, I really think yeah. that's kind of the mark in around 2017 where everything changed in the industry where it wasn't so much of like scary. It was like, okay, you know, we were starting to figure this out. We can do this. Yeah. And, and people can do it. I mean, it is not an, an unattainable feat to be compliant. And, you know, those regulation changes when I was there through 2014 or 15, 16, like those were when some of the huge regulation changes were happening like overnight and people didn't know. But it still happens to this day. The MED just changed a bunch of regulations on documentation. CAPA plan, recall plan and sampling plan is now required in your facilities. Most people have no idea what that entails, first of all. And second of all, the MED didn't even put out their like, hey, this change is happening, like press release until after the due date. Oh, like no. it came out like this, like last month on like the 17th or something. And it was due, like you had to be in compliance by the first of the year. Oh, so people are still, you know, it's it's not necessarily their fault um, to, you know, how often do you sit down and reread those regulations and go, oh, that's changed. Like, no, only nerds like I do that. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, if there's not a heads up and it was, it's funny cause I'll talk to people and say, Hey, you need this to be in compliance too. Do you want us to add that on to the set of SOPs we're writing for you right now, since you need it. And they're like, well, we didn't get anything from the MED. So I don't think we need that. And I was like, but you, ah, <laughs> you know, like, MED, like, help me out here, you know, because it's just like, you know, people expect the government to be doing the right thing and to be, you know, letting you know about stuff. But really, the onus is completely on you. Um, and it's, it is still going to happen for a very long time. It'll probably be five or six or 10 years before the regulations aren't changing, you know, every month. So even even nowadays that happens. And I think that's that's why it's it's even more necessary to have somebody to help you. I mean, that's kind of how I was. And um, we had a compliance officer. And I mean, we cycled through compliance officers like you know, change of seasons almost. And a lot of it was just because people couldn't keep up. And um, you need somebody who's dedicated. And fired, finally, we found a lawyer who was doing what you're doing, who you know had her nose in the books and um, followed every single red line change that was made. And basically was on top of it. But otherwise, you know, these operators, they're just too busy. They're too busy trying to keep up with metric, too busy trying to grow their plants or um, run their machines or operate their stores and keep up with employees. And um, it's a lot. It is like a ton to keep up with. So I totally yeah. see why, um, you know, you made the necessary switch. And I think a lot of that uh, coming from you, at least, and, and kind of seeing uh, the industry from my perspective, it was almost like a natural flow of you needed somebody there just to help you and be like a, a backbone or a backboard to at least like know that, okay, I'm in the right direction. I'm doing the right things. Uh, I'm not going to expect some big fine out of nowhere or something. Yeah. And the other good thing about our company is, you know, we come in and we train those compliance officers to know what we know and mm -hmm. to know where to look. Um, you know, we do a lot of higher level, uh, you know, FDA, OSHA, fire code, GMP certification, ISO certification. As we're implementing and writing all those documents and getting them in place, we're training your operations person to understand all of this just as well as we do the whole time. So, you know, so that 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 person, maybe the turnover isn't so big because they know what they're doing and the pressure is a little bit off and they have someone to call if they have a question or, you know, if they don't understand something, they can get clarity on it from us. Um, you know, we really want our clients to do well. And, you know, the, the only way they can do well is if they, they understand it. <laughs> and yeah. So yeah. that's what our main goal is for sure. 
And then what other types of services do you guys offer uh, besides like the consulting on compliance? So we, we really only stick with operational compliance. Um, so we obviously deal with state regulations. So like MED in Colorado, OLCC Oregon, BCC California. I mean, every single state has its own regulations. Um, but those are actually the easiest regulations that we work with, believe it or not. We mainly work with FDA, like I said, so that food safety, OSHA, uh, worker safety, uh, fire code, worker safety as well. Um, and then we do a lot of certifications. So if you're in the, in the hemp industry, we can help you with organic certification that will be available. Hopefully on the cannabis side, we are actually working with a couple of um, other certification bodies that might be doing something similar. And then we also do GMP certification, which is really huge in the industry right now. And I think it's a really great thing that people are getting it. And we also do ISO 9001 and ISO 22000. So we essentially come in train your staff, write all your documentation, uh, figure it out, go to the audits, make sure that everything that you're doing is to compliance. We do, you know, redo the whole facility if we have to. Um, and then we teach you well enough that we can walk away and you can still call us if you need us. Um, but, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're not, we don't really tie people into super long contracts or anything. We kind of come in get a job done and get out. And then if they need us again, we're back. So um, even though we do have some clients that have been with us for years and years, <laughs> just because they like to have someone to call if they have an issue, you know, that's the way it goes. But, right, but yeah, right. that's what we do. Interesting. And so, I, I mean, I know you guys, you started your career here in Denver and Colorado was the core of your business. And recently you've moved to Oregon. Uh, why did you decide to expand your business to Oregon? So um, Denver is amazing. Uh, it's where I'm from. We have um, actually three of our consultants live in Denver. So, you know, we, we still have a really big base there. Um, I actually have been trying to find an excuse to move to Oregon for a while. I love Oregon and my husband does too. So it was kind of an opportune time um, because we wanted to be better to our clients out here. Uh, we have a bunch of hemp and THC clients out here and we were flying out to see them every single time. And it just, it made sense for us to have a, someone here that can do on-site audits and talk to people and go to go on site. And then COVID hit. So I haven't really been on site <laughs> that much, which is kind of ironic. Um, but also because of the psilocybin bill that um, was proposed. And at the time it was just proposed um, and I wasn't sure if it was actually going to pass, but I had a feeling that it was going to pass. Uh, so we also opened a new division of Olay Consulting to include psilocybin as well. And so the regulations for it have not been written yet, um, but I'm hoping, you know, I'll be a part of that regulation writing group. Uh, fingers crossed. There was like 800 people that, that put in their application or oh, something wow. insane. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be included in that, but um, I would really love to be. And it's, it, you know, either way, I'm here in Oregon and I'm going to be learning about it as we go. And uh, yeah, we, we decided to go for it because there are very there are a lot of similarities to that industry and the cannabis industry. And not only that, you know, if we're going to help an industry that is highly regulated and very, very, you know, in its infancy, why not add another? Um, and plus, I'm a huge proponent for the like medicine of psilocybin. I think that it's going to change and revolutionize everything that we do in medicine. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, not only what cannabis can do, but also what psilocybin can do um, for just our community and for the people that really need it. Absolutely. You know, we are big fans of psilocybin as well and, and the therapeutic benefits. And 
Uh, we were stoked to see that. You know, here in Denver, it got decriminalized in Denver. And I think Denver was the first one. Um, yes. Oregon, not too far after. But in Oregon, is that just in a specific uh, municipality or is it statewide? So it is a statewide. So they decriminalized all drugs, everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the entire state of Oregon. So, it, and all that means it is not legal. But all that means is if you get caught with, a, you know, cocaine or heroin or something like that, instead of throwing you in prison immediately, what they do is they send you to a therapist to be evaluated to see if you have a drug problem. If you have a drug problem, then they put you in rehab instead of um, in prison, which I think is probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then whoever gets caught and they're like, no, you don't have a drug problem. This was maybe a one-time thing or whatever it may be, whatever your story is. Um, and then they'll fine you instead of sending you to prison. Not only are they cutting down on the amount of people in prison, which is, I think, the goal of this, um, but they are also giving help to people that really need it that maybe wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, and they're just using that money that they would put in the prisons to this. Um, and they're also using cannabis tax for this as well. So it's it's essentially paid for, which is really cool. Um, and so, yes, it's therapeutically legalized in all of Oregon. So essentially, um, there will, you have to be a licensed therapist um, to be able to prescribe this um, psilocybin therapy, if you will. Like I said, the regulations and all the nuances have not been written yet. Um, so we'll see what exactly how they do that. Uh, but it is really cool. Um, it, it essentially seems like you go pick up your psilocybin, you bring it to your therapy session, and then with the therapist, ingest it. And mm -hmm. the therapist walks you through um, any issues, you know, and watches you and makes sure that you're safe. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think it's kind of the baby step of actual legalization. Um, we'll kind of see what happens, but I think they just need to make sure that the sky isn't going to fall because as we've seen, and I don't know if you've seen this, but you know, if you can take too much psilocybin and it can kind of mess up your brain, um, you know, it might not kill you, but you know, if you don't handle it the right way or you're dealing with things and you, you don't walk yourself out of it. I mean, I, I know friends that have taken it and, ha you know, have been permanently damaged um, or at least it took them a few years to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think this is their way of like kind of seeing what happens, seeing if this is possible. And then from there, I mean, maybe it'll be a medical thing because with, you know, with this, it's kind of higher dose. Right. Um, but there are people who microdose psilocybin that don't even notice, you right. know what I mean? Like they, it's just like such a small amount that they don't function any differently or feel any differently per se. Um, but it's for, you know, depression and things like mm -hmm. that. So I think that there is going to be some medical aspect of it eventually where you can take it at home. Um, in very small doses. But if you're going to do a bigger dose, you have to do it with a therapist or at least a group or something like that. Yeah. Um, it kind of depends. And this is all speculation because I really don't know what they're going to going to allow eventually. So that's interesting. So I was just thinking in my mind that it was going to be like a med card kind of like for cannabis. So but then the way you explained it to me right now is that it's more of like a prescription for like this therapy session in which, you know, you're in a controlled set and setting. But I'm also wondering, like, where are they getting the psilocybin from? So they they describe a couple of different licenses. There is a kind like a, a storefront license. Um, they I think they call it a distributor license. And then and then there's a therapy license, like the therapy center license. 
Um, and so it'll probably be an entire building with several different therapists in it that all do psilocybin therapy is the way I'm kind of visualizing it. And then maybe downstairs, there is someone who is dispensing it before they come in. Um, but, I, you know, I, it's all speculation. Um, and then obviously there will be cultivation, cultivation licenses as well. Um, and most of those um, regulations, which we're going to assist people with, is the gap. So uh, good agricultural practices, same as good manufacturing practices, just mm-hmm. in a grow. And so we're, we're, there are already regulations for mushroom growing um, to that gap standard. And we're just going to apply that directly to the can or to the psilocybin industry. So it kind of worked flawlessly with what we already gave. Um, and now, you know, we just are kind of taking our practice and going, okay, we can also do this too. Um, it's obviously different than growing cannabis, very different. But, you know, the regulations and guidelines for cross-contamination and using pesticides and all that still applies. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say mushrooms are an ingestible and I don't see them being too much different even in a therapeutic set- setting. So, I mean, a lot of that kind of follows your initial kind of intro into the market uh, or into like the regulatory nature, I guess. It's just I'm um, looking at it as, as an ingestible like a food, I guess. And so, you know, there has totally. to be like a ton in there, I guess, and especially with uh, testing and making sure it's clean and um, I, you know, I'm kind of blown away by everything you said there. We had a bunch of questions here about, you know, what does it look like and, <laughs> and all this stuff. And, um, you know, so forgive us for getting too far ahead there, but, uh, you know, I love, I love where it's heading. And I love where it's going. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious of, you know, what, are, what, it's, you know, what are the regulatory bodies involved, you know, such as like the federal government and the FDA, you know, what is their stance on it so far? So nobody's saying anything. It's very similar to what we went through with, uh, cannabis, when I was a regulator for Denver, you know, we were, we work under the FDA, right? All health departments work under the FDA. So if we have a question about something or are not sure how to regulate something, or there's a gray area in the regulations, we're supposed to call the FDA and ask them for their guidance. Um, the minute that I called the FDA and said cannabis, they literally would just hang up on me. Wow. It was like terrible. Yeah. They just like wanted nothing to do with it. Because if they said anything or they said something wrong, they could get sued, right? So they just like totally, they just wipe their hands of it, wash their hands of it um, for a very long time. Even now, when I talk to FDA regulators, it's still a little like, okay, I'm not telling you this, but I'm telling you this. And when you say oil, say lavender oil. (laughs) And when, you know, like really funny things like that, which, you know, it is what it is, whatever makes them comfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm feeling that it's the exact same with the with psilocybin. Um, I'm not sure that they see it as, you know, it, under therapeutic, uh, you know, uses. I don't think that they're quite as concerned about it. I don't think that it's quite as widespread as cannabis was um, quite the same. So we'll see uh, what they say, what they do. But I mean, I have a feeling that it's going to go very similar, similarly to cannabis where even if they wanted to come in and, and arrest everyone, um, they wouldn't have the manpower to do so anyway. Um, and I'm not sure that the state would allow them. Um, Oregon has been a, uh, a state that has protected its cannabis users for a very long time. And I have a feeling that they would do the same thing uh, with psilocybin. So I don't know. I, I don't know if they really have a leg to stand on considering the states kind of get to do what they want. Uh, and you know, I don't know if it'll go federally legalization, you know, overnight. I think that that journey is going to be a little longer for psilocybin, 
But I think that the possibility is definitely still there. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do because they've been doing, you know, government funded psilocybin therapy studies since like the 50s. Yeah, we actually know more. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they actually know more about psilocybin therapy than they do about cannabis right Right. now, the government. So, you know, I I don't know, like maybe maybe this is going to be easier than, you know, cannabis legalization wise. Um, but we just don't know. We're just going to have to see how it goes. Yeah. Part of me is kind of worried because then there is that therapeutic kind of medicinal aspect to all of this. And so what worries me somewhat is that, um, they could put a cage around the whole thing and then lock it down so tight that only, you know, like severe, uh, medical patients can get access to it, or it could be like end of life. Um, and so I think, um, or I'm hoping I'm really hoping that they uh, take a, a softer approach to this and allow um, you know, allow a couple different aspects to kind of consume it and, and kind of play with it. And I like the idea of microdosing um, because then it brings in kind of the everyday consumers, um, people who maybe are just now becoming aware that they maybe have some mental health issues and anxiety, stress, depression um, that may not think of like, uh, I need to go and do a full on you know, yeah. psilocybin therapy session to, to cure myself. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping is that they kind of take a softer approach to it and don't kind of over-regulate it like some things have in the past. But, you know, what yeah, can you do, so, I guess, until it happens? So they actually, that was written into the actual bill um, and they left it very open. So it, to me, that makes it sound like, you know, because with cannabis, they were like, okay, we can do, we had to pass autism. We had to pass mm-hmm. epilepsy. We had to pass... With them, they're saying, you, it's up to your therapist. If your therapist thinks that you need this, you, then you need it. And there isn't actually like a, a medical reason nice. that oh, is nice. described. That could change uh, if people who are writing the regulations decide that they want to add that to it. Um, but I think that there are people, I think that they know that there are people in this world who don't necessarily have PTSD or depression or anything like that. We all feel a little weird sometimes. Emotions are strange. Being a human is weird. Uh, And sometimes just taking psilocybin uh, can kind of like even out those emotions and let you kind of figure stuff out for yourself. Um, You know, the human experience is strange and having like some kind of chemical guidance. Sometimes, you know, people take Ritalin forever, you know, and Adderall and you know, this should be kind of treated that same way. Um, And it doesn't just treat one thing. So, you know, having that wide breadth of um, things that we can do might actually save the industry a little more than um, the way that that cannabis was originally written. So I agree with that. And that was one of the things that I was really excited about in that bill. Um, And then even when I filled out the application to be on the council that might help write the regulations, Um, They also talked about um, inclusion and diversity as well. So they obviously want to write the regulations to help the people that were affected by the war on drugs. Um, And so that is really that was really exciting to me, too. I was like, okay, good. They're they're doing it the way that I think it should be done Mm -hmm. um, and and kind of learning from past mistakes, if you will. Yeah, I think that's what's nice about this. And I think that's what bodes well for yourself and kind of everything that's taking shape here is that you've been here, you've done that and you've actually had to kind of like put forth these uh, these kind of new ideas and watch it kind of shake out. Like especially here in Denver and Colorado, there was nothing to build off of. And you really had to, you and your team and, and especially yourself, you kind of had to just like build off of 
nothing almost, you know, and, um, and I, I kind of look at this as, um, you know, the medical market in Colorado got established before the recreational market. And you see that almost every place that it becomes legalized in every state, it's always, uh, the medical gets passed first. And then everybody kind of like, kind of sits around and holds their breath and realizes that medical's fine. And then they kind of move on to recreational. And, um, I think that's, what's going to happen here too. I think everybody's nervous because nobody knows what's going to happen. And of course there's no regular, there's no regulatory nature to base anything off of or framework to build anything off of. And, um, so, you know, somebody's going to have to do it. And I think the rest of us are all going to be holding our breath, you know, anxiously seeing what's happening and then realizing that, uh, that, uh, you know, we've done a, a really good job on cannabis. We've done a really good job on hemp. And uh, I think we're going to do a really good job on psilocybin and, and, uh, kind of setting forth a new kind of chapter in, in drugs and, and, uh, and therapeutics and, and getting rid of this, the war on drugs and, uh, you know, the, all the stigmas attached to drugs and start taking care of our mental health. That's what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. That is it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kim. We loved learning about LA Consulting and, you know, your new journey with psilocybin. I think that's really exciting. And it's very cool that you're on the forefronts in Oregon helping to make that happen. So fingers crossed you get to keep working on those regulations. That would just be like epic. And I know everybody here in Denver who knows you will just be like mind blown. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) So kudos to you. Uh, But we do like to end the show with one fun little question. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? Uh, lucid. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, we, we look forward to, uh, to all the new developments in Oregon and also look forward to your continued growth. And we're always here to support you. And um, please come back to Denver whenever you're done in Oregon and help us figure out our regulatory framework for psilocybin and, and all that fun stuff. I know... Um, I think there's going to be some movements here, maybe, maybe to try to get um, a similar thing to what happened in Oregon um, done here for the state of Colorado, I believe. So that's kind yep. of the next thing that we're looking forward to. And uh, <laughs> we'll see kind of how it all shakes out from there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's always great to see you both. And uh, next time I'm in Denver, I'll let you know and we'll we'll go hang out. Perfect. <laughs> cool. All right, you guys, with that, cool. I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Laters.